0: Hi Derek. Hello Elaine, you okay? Not really. Mum's died. Oh, that's annoying. What are you going to do? I need to find an undertaker. Of course. Only I don't know where to start. Say, have you tried Solomon & Sons? No. Who are they? Salomon & Sons are Luton's longest serving and best loved undertakers. Known for their reassuring manner in a death crisis scenario, Salomon & Sons will do everything you don't want to, From gravestone design and picking out the right coffin to driving the hearse and embalming. All with a reassuring smile. Sounds like just what I'm after. You can't go wrong with Salomon's sons, Elaine. I use them to bury my parents, grandparents, sister, brother and late wife. Derek? Yes, Elaine? You're not a murderer, are you? (laughs) No. Salomon and Sons. Heaven on Earth.
1: This episode deals with violent and often harrowing material, such as a man's head pretty much exploding. If at any time you feel like you need support, get it. My name is Alan Stoob, and this is Alan Stoob's True Crime Casebook. Hello. Welcome to episode 3, glad you could join me. For those of you listening for the first time, I am formerly Britain's premier Nazi hunter and an ex-copper, spending my retirement solving cold cases in the Bedfordshire area. (coughs) Sorry about that. So without further ado, let's get acquainted with our third case. Clophill is a quiet market town in the heart of Bedfordshire. Equidistant between Luton and Bedford, and situated just off the A6, the town constitutes one third of Bedfordshire's Golden Triangle, namely Clophill, Shefford and Meppishall. Nothing much happens in Clophill. People go about their business, babies are born, and old people die, mostly while playing an end at Clophill Bowling Club. A quiet, sleepy town then. The kind of place where you can walk around without fear of being shot in the face with a crossbow. Oh, least, you'd think so. Tuesday, the 16th of July, 1976. Britain is in the midst of an unprecedented heat wave. The temperature reached 31 degrees centigrade, 87.83 degrees Fahrenheit. It's market day in Clop Hill. Sheila Moon is laying out her tea towels, 9p each or 26 for a pound. Derek Cowanley is arranging his blank audio cassettes, the display table laden with TDK D90s, BASF ferric low noise and Maxell break the sound barrier. Everyone is sweating profusely, even the women. Enter Gerald Stoot, 66 and recently separated from his wife. Stute is on a mission to purchase sausages at an unbeatable price. He makes his way through the market, pausing occasionally to mop his brow, before arriving at Pete's Meats and requesting a sample of every sausage on display. After eating the equivalent of three bratwurst, he settles on two pounds of Cumberland, negotiates a good price and bends down to collect his wallet from his trolley. However, in that moment, Stute's life changes forever. In fact, it ends. An arrow fired from an unknown location smashes into the back of Stoot's skull, penetrating his brain, exiting through the face and taking with it his right eye before coming to settle in the pond at the southwest corner of the square where a swarm of silver carp feast upon the eyeball. Stoop died instantly Clutching a small sample of Toulouse sausage made between finger and thumb as he hit the ground.
0: This is the 9 o'clock news. Good evening. Here are the news. A man has been killed today in an horrific ambush in mid-Bedfordshire. Gerald Stoot was out shopping when he was struck right in the square... ...and killed instantly by a arrow. We can now go live to a press conference in Clophill Town Hall.
1: Thank you all for coming. All right, settle down. Detective Chief Superintendent Jeff Lyme, Bedfordshire Constabulary. At 900 hours this morning, Gerald Stoot, 66, and of no fixed relationship... ...was shot in the head by a quarrel and died instantly from his injuries, which were both fatal and severe. What's a quarrel, Jeff! A quarrel, or bolt, is the technical term for the arrow used in a crossbow.
0: What's the derivation, Jeff?
1: The name quarrel is derived from the French carré, meaning square, a reference to a quarrel's typically square head. This terrible assault has sent shockwaves through Plop Hill, up into Campton and across to Woburn. If the killer is listening, I have a message for you. We know who you are, nearly, and are closing in, probably. Give yourself up now or face the long arm of the law. If anyone has any information regarding this shocking act, please call Flitwick 3106 and ask for Susan. Alternatively, send us a fax. We've just bought a machine and are all very much amused by the funny sounds it makes. No questions today, sorry.
0: Why no questions, Chef?
1: I said no questions.
0: That wasn't a proper question.
1: Yes, it was. Not really. Well, it depends. On what? On what is a question? No, it's not. I have to go. The eyes of the country were fixed on Kloppil. Local police interviewed everyone in the square. Most had seen Stoot go down, but no one saw the killer, nor the direction from which the arrow, bolt or quarrel had been fired. Police checked the National Crossbow database. Three were registered in the Kloppil area, but at the time of the killing, all three licensed owners were attending a neo-Nazi march in Bremen, Germany. A reenactment of the attack was staged for BBC Look East using a mannequin and a bow and arrow, but it was a blustery day. The archer missed the mannequin and shot straight through the open door of Radio Rentals, embedding the arrow in an early Betamax video recorder. With no leads and no witnesses, police shifted their focus from the crime to the victim. Gerald Stoot was born very suddenly in the biography section at Bedford Library in 1910. While at school, he began blackmailing his teachers. A foray into disorganised crime as an adult led to a brief prison sentence, and once released, Stoot found himself an administrative job at British Aerospace in nearby Hatfield. However, he never lost his desire for a life of crime, and at 50 he retired, spending the next 16 years subsisting via a series of low-key blackmail arrangements. Affairs, improper business deals, and love children were grist to the mill for the ruthless Stoot. But he ran up huge bills with local businesses, then used what he knew of the individuals to escape payment. In the Bedfordshire area, Gerald Stoot was not a like man. Police approached those who were known to have a grudge against Stute. However, all had alibis. What's more, none appeared to harbour the level of anger or bitterness required to make murder seem like the only solution. But then, police received a poison pen letter recommending that they interview Stute's ex-wife. So they did.
0: For the purpose of the tape,
2: present in the room are Detective Chief Constable Derek Hamble, that's me, Detective Fiona Mullet, over there looking lovely, and Miss Suzanne Albanoni, formerly Mrs Gerald Stoot. Miss Albanoni, what can you tell us about your late ex-husband? He was a bloody bastard, that's what. What do you mean, a bloody bastard? What well, I say? A complete bloody bastard. Can you give examples? Sure. He was bloody bastard on Monday, a bloody bastard on Tuesday, a bloody bastard on Wednesday, a bloody bastard on Thursday. Okay, thanks, Miss Albononi. We get the picture. What kinds of things did Mr Stoop do to make him such a, uh, as you put it, a bloody bastard? Bloody bastard things? He's bloody horrible bastard to everyone, including me. He was a contortionist, you know, taking money from innocent people. Plus he was nose picker and bottom scratcher. Such a rude man, no manners, a complete bastard. I could go on, but there's too much. I hate him. I'm glad he's dead now. Where were you the night he died? Well, you think I'm expert with coral now? I was at home with my cat and lover. Is that the same person? It's two people, you bloody perv. Did you have your ex-husband killed, Ms. Albanone? Of Course bloody not. Now you're a bloody bastard. Get me a cappuccino this instant. Extra shot.
1: The alibi of Miss Albinoni checked out. No charges were pressed. Police were no further along with their inquiries.
2: Police were no further along with their inquiries.
1: Well, that's not very nice, is it?
2: That's not very nice, is it?
1: I said you could sit in if you didn't disturb me.
2: I said you could sit in if you didn't disturb me.
1: If I may say, love, I think you've been quite immature.
2: Me? Ha! You're the one that needs to grow up, Alan. You appear to have forgotten your promise. Once the Nazi hunting is done, that's it. Retirement together, you said. Well, let me tell you, Mister Alan, former of the Britain's premier Nazi hunting. You sitting here recording these stupid pod jobs or out playing policemen isn't what I'd call time together. This'll
1: be my last one.
2: You said that last time, Alan. A woman of my autumn years can't live on the promises. I'm fed up with your stupid, bloody, cold, bloody cases. I'm going to sulk in the Cavalier. Don't follow me.
1: Time for a quick word from one of our sponsors. Know what I like to do after a long day's trucking, Dave? What's that then, After a long day's trucking, there's nothing I like more than to pull off the A1 at Junction 6 and stop in at the Smart Shack. Bedfordshire's premier Porn
0: emporium. Oh, yeah. There's so much choice. Not half. Mags and books. Yeah. DVDs. Oh, yeah. All of
1: it in knockdown prices. Tell me about it. They've even got a special room where you can test out the material. Really? Nah. It'd be great if they did, though. Ha. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think I couldn't get by without it. Without
0: the internet? No what?
1: The smart my Jack. Just do Junction Six of the A1, it pickles weed. Come once, and you'll come again.
0: <laughs> Smutshack is a trademark. To qualify for your 10% trucker's discount, just say you're a trucker. Don't worry about proof, we'll be able to tell immediately. Smutshack does not sell any material that shows animals in flagrante. If you want that, you'll have to go to Holland or Iran. All returns expire after three minutes. Please do not take your penis out in the shop.
1: This is Alan Stueb, author of the acclaimed memoir, Alan Stueb, Nazi Hunter. The film didn't work out, but you can't have everything. It's now 42 years since Gerald Stoot's skull was split like an egg on a sweltering day in Clophill. In that time, the case has gone from red hot, to lukewarm, to frozen over. The file remains open, but investigations are not, and I quote, ongoing. This is a case that puzzled all of us from day one. An extreme and brutal crime in the heart of village Bedfordshire. No real suspects and only a bolt or quarrel for evidence It doesn't matter that no one liked him Someone must know who did it It was time to investigate further I've cycled six miles from my home in Dunstable to the Clophill advertiser. Following a lengthy conversation with editor Miles Miles about my famed capture of Andreas Blunt, the plaster of Paris, I arranged for an advertisement to be placed, free of charge, requesting anyone who was there on the day of the killing to come forward. That afternoon, a cryptic message landed on the doormat. I couldn't make head nor tail of it, so I summoned my grandson Hayden, currently studying GCSE code breaking. And we looked at it together. It's quite simple, Grandad, he said. You need to shift the alphabet along one, so A becomes B, B becomes C and so forth. Then take the vowels back three, the letter L back six and double the ends. Got it? Not really. Grandad, don't be a dimwit all your life. Don't be rude to your Grandad. Just read it to me, will you? Meet me at the Thistle Pub, Clophill. I have something that may interest you. Come alone, a friend. Who was this friend? It was time to find out. Can I come along? No chance. I'm currently totally stood outside the Thistle Clophill, and I'm wearing a wire. Hayden is listening from his bedroom in South Dunstable. Aren't you Hayden? Go for- I couldn't let him join. He's underage and his mother doesn't like it. Plus, I wouldn't want him getting a taste for liquor, like his old dad. Stay vigilant, Grandad. I will, Hayden. Don't worry. Okay, I'm going in. Oops. I think that's him in the corner. Hello. Are you a friend? You must be Alan Sloob. Formerly Britain's premier Nazi hunter, now solving cold cases in the Bedfordshire area. Yes, that's me. Good to meet you. Likewise. Drink? No, thanks. Let's get on with it. I'm nearly 83.
0: Of course. I'd like to tell you a story, Alan. OK. 16th of July, 1976. Felt like any other day in Clothill. The sun was high in the... Let's
1: just concentrate on the meat of it, shall we?
0: Sorry, Alan. That day, the day of the murder, I was 15 and wagging off school. Education is very important, you know, especially at that age. I know that now, Alan, but at the time I was confused. Confused about what? Everything. The common market, decimalisation, ABBA. Go on. Anyway, I waited until Mum went off to work, then I snuck back, let myself in and stole their video camera.
1: Not to be condoned, but keep going.
0: I fancied myself the filmmaker, Alan. Pretended I was making a documentary about Hill Market. So there I was, stood high up on the Glassy area to the east of the square, when it all kicked off. The whole quarrel scenario and everything. I caught the whole thing on film. This could be dynamite, Brendan. What was that? Never mind.
1: The whole thing, you see.
0: You could even see his eye being eaten by a fish.
1: Mind if I take the tape? It's yours. What's your name, son?
0: Abraham Lafruda.
1: Thanks, Abraham. Here don't thank for your pint, Alan. I never drink on a case, only once I've sold it. Thanks for the tape. Now I'm a cycle home, some of my grandson, and watch it. <music> Hayden arrived. I removed the Bergerac cassette from the video recorder, inserted La and pressed play. What we saw astonished us both. There it was, frozen in time, Clophill Market, 1976. Sheila Moon and her dishcloths, Pete and his meat. Suddenly, from the left, Gerald Stoot, approaching Pete, gesticulating with his hands and consuming what appears to be more than his share of free sausage. Then, just as Abraham said, it happens. The quarrel entering the head in full technicolor, only to emerge the other side, collecting the iron its way through and veering off towards the pond. Frantic shoppers scurry around the lifeless stoop. Picture shakes. Video ends. Fucking hell, Grandad. No swearing inside, please, Hayden. This was crucial evidence, but by itself didn't provide any answers. I needed a ballistic expert to help translate the images for me. Step forward, Dr. Harold E. Biscuit... Visiting professor of trajectories at Luton College of Higher Education. A career biscuit, the tape. 24 hours later, I was sat in his editing suite.
0: Thanks for coming over, Alan. Pleasure's all mine, Professor. Should we get going? Please. Okay, slowing the videotape right down. We see Market Square. There's Gerald Stoop. I see him. We have an epileptic seizure around 8.59 a.m., distracting shoppers, making it easier for the killer to move into place. The epileptic later vanished, never checking into the hospital. Blimey. Frame 98. The first shot rings out. First shot? Three in total, Alan. Keep watching. You can see Stute is alerted, but continues shopping. I see it. Frame 162, the second shot. Oh, my. This one clips the outer reaches of his right lobe but holds his trajectory and as with the first is likely lost somewhere but on the square. P turns his head, he yells Oh my god, they're gonna kill us all. The third and fatal shot, frame one hundred ninety three, takes Stute in the head from the back. This is the key shot. You see the bolt or quarrel penetrating the president's skull. You say president. Sorry, Alan me victim. Though the quarrel's been fired from behind, the converse momentum of the quarrel ripping through the skull forces the victim back and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left, back. Will you
1: stop saying back and to the left, please? You'll make me doze off. Sorry, Alan. This is all great, Professor, but where do we go from here?
0: Alan, i created a 3D rendering of the town square and structures surrounding it. If I just press this button...
1: Oh, that's Fab.
0: This is the model I'm talking about, including a trajectory of the quarrel and the precise location from which it was fired. Pretty neat, huh? It's amazing. What number house is the quarrel coming from? Top flat, number 24 Town Square Place, above where CNA used to be. If you were my wife, I'd kiss you. If you were my husband, I'd reciprocate. I have to go now. Bye! (laughs)
1: We'd made a huge leap and now knew from whence the crossbow had been fired. But the last and most important question remained unanswered. Who had fired it? On checking the deeds of the property, I learned that the flat had belonged to a Mr. Alvin Yap at the time of Stute's death. After a few phone calls, I discovered that he had let it out to Mr. Andrew J. Puppy. Could this be our crossbow killer? The name was familiar. So I called my daughter Tina She knows everything
2: Hi Dad Andrew J. Puppy is a DJ on Flit Hit Radio You know, the one with more hits, less talk I'm sure I'd be happy to speak to you Is everything alright between you and Mum?
1: Was Puppy our man? I couldn't be sure But I was having one of my feelings The kind that begins an itch in my right foot Make their way up my thigh And settle in my gut I knew what I had to
0: do That was Millie Vanilli with Girl, You Know It's True. I'm Andrew J. Puppy, and you're listening to... Politic Radio, Politic
1: Radio, Politic Radio, Politic Radio.
0: The place with more hits than the late Henry Cooper. The question this morning, remember, is... How accurate is it to say that the continued lack of parliamentary reform in the years 1785 to 1820 is best explained by the government's fear of revolution? We've got Alan from Dunstable on line one. Alan, what do you want to say? Hello, Andrew. Hi, Alan. What are your thoughts about the near-total absence of parliamentary reform, 1785 to 1820, inclusive? Do
1: you mind if I introduce myself properly, Andrew? We've got a lot of calls to get through, Alan, so... My name is Alan Stube, and I'm formerly Britain's premier Nazi hunter. Ring any bells? Sorry, no. So what do you think... These days, I solve coal cases in the Bedfordshire area.
0: Not sure I know where you're going with this, Alan. Not sure the callers do, either.
1: Coal cases from way back. As far back as nineteen seventy six.
0: That's a long time ago, Alan.
1: Yes, but not that long ago, Andrew.
0: Alan, if you don't address the question, I'm going to have still to still
1: recent enough to be emblazoned on the memory, eh? Alan, I know I... you did it, Andrew. I know you did it, and I know that the whole of Bedfordshire will be able to judge your reaction live on air when I say this Gerald Stoot with a crossbow in the Market Square. What's up, Andrew? Cat got your tongue?
0: Time for the travel with Susie. Susie, what have you got for us?
1: Don't you dare go to the travel news with Susie. Tell me the truth, Andrew. The whole of Bedfordshire is listening.
0: Stop saying the whole of Bedfordshire. It's only about 300 people.
1: Whatever. Speak. You need to get this off your chest, son. This is your golden opportunity to rid yourself of four decades of guilt.
2: It wasn't my idea, Alan. You have to believe me.
1: Your voice suddenly sounds very different.
2: This is my normal voice.
1: Go on.
2: They came to me, eight of them. They wanted him done away with.
1: Who? You might as well say now. We'll find out anyway.
2: The wife, the butcher, the landlord of the feathers, a handful of others. They each paid me £50 pounds to do away with stoot. I was just a patsy.
1: How do you get hold of the crossbow? They're very dangerous weapons. I
2: borrowed it from my mother.
1: I see. Just a patsy, you say?
2: Maybe not quite. Stuart was blackmailing me over my cross-dressing.
1: Sorry to hear that, Andrew.
2: Oh, God, Alan, I'm so ashamed and sorry for what I did.
1: Murder is against the law, even when the victim is a bad man.
2: I felt awful about it afterwards. For days, my sleep was upset. Then I got used to it, learned to live with it. But it's better this way, with everything out in the open. I deserve all that comes to me.
1: I guess the police will have to deal with that. Oh, and by the way... What is it, Alan? In answer to your question, how accurate is it to say that the continued lack of parliamentary reform in the year 1785 to 1820 is best explained by the government fear of revolution? The answer is very accurate. Are those sirens I hear in the background?
2: Probably, Alan. Thanks for helping me come to terms with the past.
1: Not a problem. All the best, Andrew. Stay on the straight and narrow.
0: That was Alan there from Dunstable. It's 12.35, which can only mean one thing. Time for a dose of Tom Petty.
1: Police rounded up all those involved, including Andrew J Puppy and Stoot's ex-wife. There was a court case, but in the end, the judge handed out suspended sentences, possibly influenced by the fact that he himself had once been blackmailed by Stoot for his fondness for Shawadi Waddy. All of which made me feel pretty good about myself. I
2: feel pretty good about you too, Alan.
1: Thank you, Adami. I do love you, you know.
2: I love you too, Alan. Even though you can't get it up anymore.
0: You have been listening to Alan Stoob's True Crime Casebook. Hayden says you should take a moment to like and subscribe, or the Nazis will get you. Alan Stoob's True Crime Casebook was devised, written, produced, and performed by Saul Wordsworth. I really will try and make the next one shorter. It was a stage production.